This morning's reading is from Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 11. It's a parable of the ten pounds. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to get royal power for himself and then return. He summoned ten of his slaves and gave them ten pounds um, and said to them, do business with these until I come back. But the citizens of his country hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to rule over us. When he returned, having received royal power, he ordered these slaves to whom he had given the money to be summoned so that he might find out what they had gained by trading. The first came forward and said, Lord, your pound has made ten more pounds. He said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been trustworthy in a very small thing, take charge of ten cities. Then the second came, saying, Lord, your pound has made five pounds, he said to him, and you rule over five cities. Then the other came, saying, Lord, here is your pound, I wrapped it up in a piece of cloth. For I was afraid of you, because you are a harsh man. You take what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will judge you by your words, by your own words, you wicked slave. You knew, did you, that I was a harsh man, taking what I did not deposit, and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money into the bank? Then when I returned, I could have collected it with interest. He said to the bystanders, Take the pound from him and give it to the one who has ten pounds. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten pounds. I tell you, to all those who have, more will be given. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to be king over them, Bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. This is the word of the Lord. Katie and I have been trying to get ahead of the game in terms of Christmas shopping. And so we've been doing lots of online shopping. So at the moment, lots of packages are arriving and we're not always around to receive those packages. And so I was down at the post office and uh, talking to the post office guy and said, oh, you're going to be getting busy soon. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm losing sleep over. I said, well, you probably just, you know, need more space. The, the, the world's changed because half the packages for Christmas are coming through you. And he said, oh, space is not the problem. People are the problem. I'm fearful of the, the, the people that I'm going to encounter through this time as they're doing their last minute Christmas shopping and expecting him to solve something he can't solve. And in my head I'm thinking that just, there's just no excuse for someone getting angry at someone else for something that they've left to the last minute and blaming it on him. And as I'm thinking about that I'm thinking of Kirsty's sermon uh, last week where she was talking about uh, this friend that she has who every time they buy something 
they sow some money into God's kingdom for the things that they're, they're buying. And I, I was thinking, oh, that, that would challenge the way that I, as a Christian, give. That Every time I bought something, every time a package came in the mail for, for us or for me, I was making sure a, an envelope goes out or a bank transfer goes out to support uh, the work of the kingdom of God. Uh, that's challenging. For, for me, uh, it's, it's, I've structured a, a way of giving where uh, I, I look at the uh, amount I earn, but uh, for, in terms of transparency for me, I, I look at the theoretical amount. Uh, I know that part of my salary here is living in a house in Bourne and that to rent a house, it's theoretically a certain amount. And so I bump my salary up by that and I make sure 10% of what I am earning uh, goes to, towards supporting the ministry of the church. And then there's other things that we give to as a family. I'm thinking, oh, I think God wants to push me on generosity. Uh, so that question, and I'm sorry, you're not going to see any of the slides today, so I, I'm not going to change them, but, but it's there, does God want my money? Is a question lots of people think about. Uh, where people think of the church, the, the, the church just wants people's money. Uh, that's what the church wants. Does, does God just want my money? Uh, in this parable, uh, we see money being talked about. We see pounds being talked about or, or miners it, it talks about, which is really about three or four months wages for a person. And we can see it as a conversation about money. Uh, but really, this parable is a conversation around the heart of God. Uh, the, the way, uh, if, if you want to say, the, the kingdom of God works, the economy of the kingdom. But God's primary priority is, is, is really not about money. That's just a natural outflow of obedience as we seek to follow him. If you've got your Bibles open, because you can't see anything on the screen... Uh, we're on page 854. Uh, we're looking at Luke chapter 19. And so whenever we open up Scripture, it's useful to read it in the context that it's written. The, the context it's written for us here is, uh, he gives us some hints in verse 11. Uh, so we're on page 854. He gives us some hints that uh, they're near Jerusalem. Uh, we know that Jesus is at the business end of his ministry. He's about to go and be crucified on the cross. They're, they're near Jerusalem and they, the disciples supposed uh, that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. That, that is, any moment now, God's kingdom would appear. Jesus would take a crown on his head and suddenly the whole world would be changed because their king was on the throne. That's what they were expecting. They still hadn't fully understood the heart of Jesus and what he was setting out to do. Uh, so they thought all this is coming really quickly. And so he's speaking into that context. But we see at the start of verse 11, as they were listening to this, so we, we need to step back and then look at what's before. And it's about Jesus and Zacchaeus. Uh, so uh, Jesus meets a guy called Zacchaeus uh, who was trying to see uh, who Jesus was. Uh, he couldn't. He was up in a sycamore tree uh, looking to see Jesus. What does Jesus say? Uh, he, he came to the place and he looked up and he said, 
Zacchaeus. Things we don't often notice. Did Jesus know Zacchaeus? He'd never met Zacchaeus. What did he have? He had what we called when we we're looking at spiritual gifts, a word of knowledge. This is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. What's Jesus doing? He's following the instructions of his father to uh, seek the hospitality of Zacchaeus. What's Zacchaeus' response is, Lord, <laughs> he's deeply convicted. Uh, I've defrauded people. I'm going to give halfway, halfway my possessions away. I'm going to pay back four times as much as I have defrauded someone. What's the response of the disciples? Why are you hanging out with this guy? There's a crowd of people that want to see uh, you, Jesus. Why have you sought the hospitality of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus is an outcast. He was running the business of the government and taking from people money. Does God want my money? <laughs> uh, they don't want a Jesus who is going to hang out with a guy who has taken money from them. And so this is the context. And Jesus, in the middle of this, speaks uh, his heart. He says, today, verse 9, salvation has come to this house, Zacchaeus's house, because he too is a son of Abraham, that is, he is in the family, for the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. So right there we see the priority of God to seek out and save the lost. And so into that context we have this parable of the ten Pounds. Uh, the, what's the reality that Jesus is pointing to? So if you skip down to, to verse 12, he talks about a, a nobleman going to a distant country to get royal power for himself and then return. Uh, he's speaking uh, in this parable about himself. Uh, where is Jesus about to go to Jerusalem? Uh, when, when, he go, when the noble person in this parable goes uh, and arrives in the country, verse 14, the citizens of his country hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want you to rule over us. Who's that speaking about? Uh, the, the Jewish people, uh, the Jewish leaders in particular, who rejected Jesus and said, we, we don't want you. Uh, so, so Jesus is speaking about what is about to happen uh, as he goes to that country. Uh, he is going to be rejected. Uh, he doesn't hear say he's going to be crucified, but uh, then he talks about what happens when he returns. So verse 15, when he returned, having received royal power. Hang on, hang on a second. The citizens of the other country rejected him. Well, we know what happens with Jesus. He receives his royal power as he is crucified, as he is resurrected, and he is raised to be seated on the throne. What is restored to Jesus is the glory that was his in the beginning. And so as he receives that royal power that has always been his and uh, he gave up in humility as he came to earth, as he receives it back again, he comes back and he returns. So what's it then speaking about? It's speaking about the return of Jesus. And so what's this parable about? Uh, it's about the time between the first coming of Jesus and the return of Jesus. And it's ultimately a speaking about how we steward what we have, uh, what we have in our hand between Jesus' coming and his return. And how do we steward it? We steward it in the light of verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save 
the lost. We can see in here from what it said about Zacchaeus, the temptation of a disciple, that means the temptation for us, is to grumble and complain and, and be uh, like those that said, well, why, why is God's priority over here when I want his priority to be right here with me? And, and so we hear that as the, as the challenge. Uh, when we read this passage, we see the instruction. The noble person uh, is given an instruction to ten of his slaves. So what's the relationship there? There's, there's a master and there's slaves. There's Jesus and then there's those who seek to call him Lord. Not only Savior, but Lord. I, I wonder if you've ever thought of your relationship with Jesus, that you are a slave to Christ. That he is your master, he is your Lord. I, I think as a church, we often talk about how Jesus has saved us. But how much do we recognize him as the one who has authority over us? And so Jesus, with his authority, says uh, to these particular slaves, take these 10 pounds, he gives them 10 pounds, and he says, do business with uh, these, with this money, do business with this money until I come back. So he gives an instruction to them. And so when he returns, uh, he orders the slave to whom he has given the money, he only speaks to three of them, and he says, what have you done? What have you gained by trading with what I have given to you? Uh, the first one comes forward and says, Lord, your, your pound has made 10 more pounds. Uh, we see here a picture of the way God's designed money to work. Money is designed to make money. That's the way it's meant to work in the kingdom of God. If, if you have money, it's designed to reproduce in, in order to bring about more wealth uh, in order that more can be invested in. Uh, so he says, well done to the slave, because... You've been trustworthy in a very small thing. Take charge of, not more wealth, ten cities. What we see in here about the nature of the kingdom and the way uh, money is used in the kingdom is uh, if we show our faithfulness with our money, it seems to be a starting point. You show uh, faithfulness with what God has given to us, then he rewards us with influence and authority. He says this person with Something that to him is insignificant because all the wealth of the world is insignificant to God. He, he doesn't need it. He created it. It's a tool that we use to have relationship together. He, he says, because you have been faithful with this tool uh, that is used in order to do business and have relationship, I am going to give you greater authority and relationship and greater influence because you are a faithful slave. To the next one, uh, he has turned uh, one pound into five pounds. Proportional influence according to uh, how he is able to multiply what he has been given. So it seems in the kingdom that as we are faithful, God proportionally gives us influence and authority uh, to uh, increase uh, the, the return on his investment in us. Then we see the third person. The third person says... He says something strange. He says, uh, uh, Lord, here's your pound. 
I wrapped it up in a piece of cloth, for I was afraid of you, because you are a harsh man, you take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Uh, now, often when we read scripture, we can read it with a really literal lens and read this and assume that he's telling the truth about the nobleman who we've already identified to be Jesus. But here, when he says, uh, Lord, I know you're a harsh person taking what's not yours and uh, taking what you did not sow, reaping what you did not sow, is he telling the truth of what we've already seen revealed about this noble person? Not at all. In fact, we never see the noble person asking for the money back that they've earned on the investment that he's put in them. What we see actually is he gives to those who have sown faithfully what they did not earn in order to produce an even greater return. You see, that the nature of Jesus already revealed is that he is abundantly generous to those who are faithful. And what does he say? He says... Why didn't you just put the money in the bank? Like, just put it in the bank. And, and at least then it would have ticked up, you know, what is it today, point of interest? It seems insignificant. At least it would have ticked up some insignificant amount and you would have shown a little bit of faithfulness. But what we see here is that the, the third personality in this passage has not trusted the nature of the noble person, that this noble person has uh, what is in his interest. He's uh, either making up a lie or uh, believing something that is not true about this noble person and uh, as a result operating in a certain way. We then need to read it in the context of, of what they were thinking. <laughs> they were thinking the kingdom was going to come quickly. So, so why would that person wrap it up in a, in a handkerchief if the kingdom is going to come quickly? Well, they, they think the whole world is, is about to change and that they don't need to do anything and they're just waiting, waiting for the, for the noble person, the king, to do his work. But actually, <laughs> Jesus here is, is saying what I expected from a, as a master of a slave or a servant is that you would do what I asked you to do. Who knows if you're in a job and your employer asks something really reasonable of you, uh, if you keep your job or if you don't do it. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work that way. We know, uh, we know that it just doesn't work that way. Uh, what, what do we discover here? We, we discover at some level that the third person doesn't know the king, does he? He doesn't know the nature of who this king is and uh, what this noble person does is, is he takes the pound from him and he gives it to someone who has been faithful because he knows that investment is well sown there. Uh, what we then see is a judgment that happens. Uh, so uh, what we, we, we see in this passage is that for the servant who's faithful, uh, they, they're given influence. For the servant who is uh, not faithful, uh, tell you to all those who have, more will be given. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. What's Jesus talking about? He's, he's talking about his return. Uh, we know that when Jesus first came, he came to save and seek the lost. 
He said, I, I, I've come not to judge the world, but to save the world. But judgment is coming. Uh, so if it's talking about the second return of Jesus, it's saying there is a harsh consequence for those who have rejected, not uh, necessarily those who have not returned investment, but those who have rejected the king. Because what has ultimately the third person done? They've said, you're not my king. I don't trust you. And so I'm not even going to put it in the bank and see that kind of return happen. Because I don't trust you. So for the person who does not have Jesus as their king, there is a harsh consequence. Uh, so what's the challenge uh, in here for us? So, so there's reward for the faithful, rejection for those who do not trust Jesus, uh, judgment for those who rebel against Jesus. What's the challenge uh, for me to be a Christian who produces a return on investment between Jesus' coming and Jesus' return? What does it mean for me to produce a return on investment? Does God want my money? <laughs> uh, money and how we use it is just a symbol of our faithfulness. No, actually God wants to build us up to be people of influence that sow where his heart is at. What's his heart? Verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. We know salvation. What's been sown in us? Salvation. The seed of salvation. Where does God want to produce a return in the, in the world that doesn't know the hope of salvation? Where, where as we are faithful in sowing seeds in the world, uh, does God give us influence in sowing more seeds? Uh, so the, the challenge for us to think about is how can I be faithful with the investment that God has placed in me, seeing him as my king and me as a faithful servant or slave of Christ. Uh, that, that means I need to think about what I sow in the world. H how do I sow? Uh, you, you and I get to sow with our money. Think about it. How, how do we sow with our money? What do we sow in? Do it wisely in order to produce a good return on investment for God. Uh, you and I sow with our words. Uh, we can sow well into people's lives with our words and how we treat them. Think of that post office guy at the start. If you want to go down to Bull and LPO and encourage him, uh, lots over the next month, he's probably going to need it because he's going to get lots of the opposite. But also think about the other people God has privileged us to be in relationship with. How can you sow into their lives words that produce a return, not just temporary return? Temporary return's good. Uh, and spreading love to people is good. But, but eternal return, how can you sow words of, of eternal life? How can in our work uh, we use uh, what God has given us in order to produce a great return for him? How can even as students who study, we can produce a return for our king? How can in all of life uh, we see this as an opportunity to sow into the lives of others? in order that they would know our king, follow our king, and in order that this picture at the end will look like very few, very few distant from the king who we love. Uh, let me pray for us. Uh, God, thank you that, that you call us uh, to this place of faithfulness. Thank you 
that we're called to this place of faithfulness, Lord, because uh, you are faithful to us. Thank you, Jesus, for the ways in, in which you continue to love us and sow life into us. Thank you that you trust us. I thank you that you believe for us even more than we believe for ourselves. Help us, Lord, as we look to you as our, our Savior King uh, to know and understand how we can live for you in order to produce a return that is both now and eternal. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.